Our message today comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 18. Hear these words. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Ebel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It, does this uh, scripture passage sound familiar? It, it should. Um, it's probably not been more than two months since I've preached on it. Hey, hey right? Um, and, you know, I was not voted in seminary as most likely to preach on Old Testament prophetic things. Um, so, uh, you, you know, um, what I thought, though, as we were planning the Why Worry uh, sermon series was that uh, Andy Stanley, right? Y'all are familiar with Charles Stanley. Andy Stanley kind of cribbed some of the notes here, and he really pulled out this story of Elijah as a story of someone who had not been anxious then, but now had become anxious. And so that's kind of why we've pulled that story out. I want to remind you that over the course of this three-week series, we have talked about um, pretty heavily how Jesus tells us to not worry, right? Jesus likens uh, our care, uh, God's care for us, like the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, right? Um, it, Jesus even says that we cannot add a day to our lives by worrying, and so Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. And you've heard Pastor Josh and myself, uh, actually we preached on that passage twice. We slipped one in there on you. Um, usually, I think y'all expect that we change the scripture every week, but you got two doses of Jesus and worry. So, just reminding you here, right, that, that it's easy for us to lose 
sight of the one person who's in control of everything. I have to say, I have to confess, right, that, um, hi, my name's Peter, and I'm a controlaholic. Anybody else out there today? Right, yeah. Did any of you wake up Friday or Saturday and go, really? Beta? That's what we've come to? You know, I, I want to say I love to see my in-laws often. That's where we tend to evacuate to. Um, the last storm we evacuated to Longview, which is where my in-laws are, which is actually evacuating into the pathway of the storm. We never said we were smart. We're just consistent, you know. But I thought to myself this morning, I just saw them like two and a half weeks ago. I mean, um, my in-laws, if you're watching, I'm so excited to come. <laughs> we'll be there soon, okay? <laughs> but, but you know, it, it's hard. We really want to control what's going on around us. Now, there are some of us who worry because we think we know the future. And there's others of us who worry because we don't know the future. But regardless, the, the message in Scripture it is not to worry. It's to allow and to trust God, the one who can control all things, to be in charge. Now, um, our scripture today has a great story, right? It starts out, um, you remember uh, Israel had three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, and then things went bad and it split. And so uh, God really liked the northern kingdom, not to say that the southern kingdom wasn't wonderful too, but you get the idea. Everybody has a favorite. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um, and the story takes place um, on the 70 years after uh, the northern kingdom. So there's been eight kings, and this one is Ahab. And if you're an English major, great, because Captain Ahab and King Ahab are about the same, all right? Um, it is said about Ahab that he was wicked. In fact, the, the real quote is, he did more to provoke the Lord's anger than all the other kings. Uh, and so God loved the northern king, and he did for them what he does for us. So God sends Elijah, a prophet, to warn King Ahab that there's going to be no rain for a long time. And then Elijah hides, because that's what you do when you've threatened the evil king of the northern kingdom. And God provides for Elijah while he's hidden. And this is like really miracle stuff, right? This is ravens bringing food and water. This is like uh, people who are ready to die because of the drought. They make one last loaf of bread and boom, there's enough for Elijah as well. These are good miracles. And so um, after a while, Elijah goes back to Ahab and says to Ahab, there's going to be rain, but there's still going to be drought. And Ahab gets really ornery and he gets real feisty. And before long, there's a shouting match and Elijah and Ahab have agreed to a prophet off or a, or a, 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 a caged prophet match or a um, how do I say this the right way? 
There's going to be 850 of the Baal prophets here, and there's going to be Elijah over here. They're going to have uh, altars of um, sacrificed animals with uh, wood and everything, right? It's been a drought, so this should be pretty easy. Um, Elijah decides that he'd soak his in water just to challenge it. Um, In the middle of this big, like, weekend of profit-offing, profit prophetizing, anyways, I get, I struggle with the verb of some nouns. Um, Can I just be honest that I'm not sure, like, if you tweet, that's good, but um, if you tweet, are you then a twit? I I don't know. It doesn't make sense, right? So anyways, so at this prophet off, um, you have Elijah and the 850, and it comes down to Elijah says some really politically inappropriate things, right? Talks about, you know, is Baal indisposed? Is he powdering his nose? Is he asleep? All these things. And eventually, at the end of the day, um, you know, Elijah prevails. Now, apparently, when you win the big prophet contest, you slaughter all of your uh, enemies. um, And that made the king angry. And so the king said, I'm going to get you. Actually, Jezebel, um, in the first verse of 1 Kings 19, Uh, our scripture passage for today says um, that she sent a messenger to Elijah to say that that she's going to get him, right? May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, those prophets that you killed. So this is not good. Elijah leaves. Um, He runs, right? This is different from hiding, which he did before. He runs, and he runs a hundred miles away, directly south, down into the southern kingdom, just outside of the jurisdiction of King Ahab. And there he hides. And I think this is interesting. Um, God provides for him uh, food, drink. He's probably exhausted. A hundred miles, that's a long way to go. Um, And where Elijah ends up uh, staying is there at the Mount of Horeb. Now, now this particular mount, so this is where Moses saw the burning bush. This is where Moses and the Israelites received the Ten Commandments. This is where God has shown up in the past. This is where God has met the Israelites, told them what his will is, and then they leave together to do God's will. So let me do some interpretation here for you. Elijah has run back to the place where it used to all work. Have you ever done this before? Have you ever run back to the place where life seemed normal? Run back to the place where life was predictable because it's no longer predictable. Elijah has found himself in this crushing pressure of feeling as if he is the only one and that the whole world is out to get him. Anyone ever felt that way before? I I try to remind myself, when someone says, everybody uh, hates your preaching, I go, yeah, not my (laughs) mother-in-law, right? I proved you wrong. (laughs) And they say, no, no, everybody. And like Jackson, I go, nope, my wife still likes my preaching, yeah? proved you wrong, right? That, that ability to not hear that everyone is out to get you is that beginning place. But we worry, right? Elijah worries. He worries that he's been a failure. He worries that God's not going to preserve him. He worries that he has run out of steam. He's run out of energy. 
And so God asks a question in verse 9, what are you doing here, Elijah? Take a moment there. What are you doing here, Elijah? What's your best thinking on running away? Why did it seem smart to go in the opposite direction? We had a good thing going there, and you turned tail and ran. I think the message for us is in those moments when we feel that we are uh, questioning or being questioned, in those moments when we feel a little persecuted or a little empty, when, when the weather person again says there's a storm in the Gulf, in those moments when we worry, we have to stop, try hard not to run, I think the message for us here is a question, Elijah, why have you run to the land of worry instead of standing on the good foundation of trust that you have with God? So um, God says to Elijah, go stand outside on the mountain and uh, I will pass by. Now, I This is interesting, right? Um, Because what is powerful about uh, God coming by the mountain has nothing to do with the fireworks. It has nothing to do with the um, loudness, the dramatic uh, um, fireworks. It's not the CGI that really communicates to Elijah. Because the Bible tells us in each of these moments, God was not in the fire or in the wind or in the earthquake. And Elijah comes to realize that God is in that still, small voice. And really what I want us to remember is that in those moments of worry, we hear lots of voices We hear the voices of um, hyped-up weather casters. We hear the the voices of uh, stock market predictors. We hear the voices of all of those around us who are not standing on the firm foundation of trusting in God's care. And instead, we are buffeted back and forth. We are hearing all of the fireworks, but never hearing that still small voice. I, uh, Andy Sandley has a habit, I do too, when people come in and tell me that something powerful had happened in their lives, that God had miraculously delivered them from something. Sometimes the miraculous delivery is the right amount of money coming before that one particular bill is due, and you can't really explain how the two happened. Andy says you should write that down. You, you see, we forget the then stories of how God has provided for us. And in the now of the moment, in the crisis, the fire, the earthquake, uh, the storm surge, we begin to wonder whether God is still with us. And when we write down those miracle moments, those moments when God made things work out, then that is a place for us to go back to. Almost like Elijah runs to the uh, the mountain where uh, he had received the Ten Commandments, uh, he runs back to a place that he remembers where God was providing. Same thing could be true for us because it's easy in that fight or flight to forget how God has been providing for us up until now. 
Now, I get frustrated with the last part of this passage. Um, You'd think if I got frustrated enough, I'd quit preaching on it. It's not a bad idea. Um, What's interesting is that in verse 15, God says to Elijah, he says, go back the way you came. There's nothing else here for you. The land of worry will not provide the deliverance that you need. And so go back where you came from. And so he he tells Elijah, go back to the desert or the wilderness of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Now, anybody out there know what where Aram is compared to? Oh, I love biblical scholars. I didn't, I looked it up, okay? It's a neighboring country. So Elijah's like, okay, I'll set up a king over there. And then he says, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Whoa, 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 that's getting closer to home now. Israel already has a king. He's the one that Elijah ran from. Ahab, remember Captain King Ahab? Yep. Okay, that's a little close to home, but okay. And then anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meloha, to succeed you as prophet. I have to imagine that Elijah's saying, whoa, that's really close to home. <laughs> Scripture says you only have one prophet, and I thought I had that title. Last time I checked my desk, there was a little nameplate, prophet of the Lord, but you're naming another one. Okay, you've been busy while I've been hiding. That's good. Um, I'll follow what you say. Verse 17, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. But see, Elijah had just said a few verses before, I'm the only one left. Isn't that interesting? How the land of worry isolates us and makes us think we're the only one that still got the right idea. Here we find that that God had much support, much provision for Elijah. It's interesting that in the mix of anxiety and worry, Elijah loses track of all of it. Now, what's true is that Elisha ends up being worried as well, but he's new to the job. (laughs) He gets to figure it all out in front of him. What I want to remind us today is that today's worries can crowd out the memories of God's past faithfulness. That today's worries can blind us to God's presence in the future. That God whispers often to us, What are you doing here? Can you answer that question? What are you doing here? And part of it has to do with looking around to see where you are. Are you standing on that promise, that trust that God has provided for you in the past and will provide for you in the future? Or have you run to the place of worry? In some ways, our prayer could be as simple as, I'm doing everything I can today, Lord, and I expect you to show up as well. Now, about tomorrow, that's yours. I'll see you in the morning. 
That's my, kind of my wish and my prayer for us. In the midst of 2020, right? Oh my gosh, the meme is amazing, right? All of the memes that are going wrong, right? You know, you could have this idea that um, the uh, number 13 is the worst number. No, no, no. You could have the idea that 666 is the worst number. No, 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 no. Right? Because the memes say that 2020 is the worst number. So in the land of 2020, where we have no idea what might happen tomorrow, let's take care of today. Standing on the promises that God has given us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.